As you know, we are in a two-year uh, Bible reading program called Mission 119, and uh, I thought it'd be kind of cool to choose one of the passages that we talked about this last week, and it's coming from Romans 10. For those of you who uh, have your phone, there's Bibles available in the back, but I just want to um, read through this passage uh, uh, together as we get going. So uh, Romans 10, chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there be, may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Basically, God is, God's, Paul's saying God's ultimate desire here was for everyone to come to know him, that the Israelites would come to follow the covenant that God had made for them. And so we see that he had sent his son Jesus to make a new covenant that, that would allow everyone the opportunity to, to know him. And then uh, dropping down in verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess, with your, profess your faith that you are saved. As, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who come to him. For everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Sounds like a familiar passage maybe you've heard before. Uh, in case you haven't picked it up, this is, uh, this is, this is actually a quite a big deal when it comes to um, the, the uh, different scriptures that sort of are pillars in the Christian faith. Um, and uh, and if, if, if um, you were to just grab the ones that really define who we are and who God is and, and the, the the, the type of relationship that we have with him. It's also, you can also kind of thank Martin Luther for using this passage for, for creating the uh, Protestant Reformation. I mean, so it's basically shaped what Christianity has become today. And, and then in verse 14, he, he continues on and says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. These last couple of verses are <clears throat> what I want to kind of emphasize here today. And how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they not believe in someone they have not heard about? And how can they hear when there is no one telling them. Paul is asking sort of a rhetorical question, and he, he knows the answer, and he, he, I'm sure he also expects the Romans, the, the ones he's writing this letter to, to also know. How can anyone tell them unless they are sent? The answer is that we're, we're all sent. That's, that's the answer. There's no question here. The Great Commission we find in Matthew 28 um, is for every believer. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and this is not just some little thing we hear uh, recited in churches. It's, it's literally a mandate to any person who, who 
uh, calls themselves a follower of Jesus. The thing is, I think the truth is what uh, is widely accepted among Christians, but what happens is we, we don't quite know what this looks like for each of us. And it, it, it's just, it creates a, a challenge for us to grasp what this looks like to go into all the world when, when some of us don't have that ability. And it's not, it's not that uh, all of us are called to become full-time ministers or missionaries, or maybe sometimes uh, people think you have to put on this, like, you know, uh, Christian entrepreneurial type, you know, mindset and go out and start some injustice-focused nonprofit. And all that stuff is good, but many of us here aren't necessarily going to see this sense that Paul is talking about come out in that way. Um, and that's completely fine. But knowing each of us has a unique life situation and vocation um, and, and gifting and even certain things that we're passionate about, what does being sent look like for each of us as individuals? And how do we use who we are and what we have to share the gospel with those around us? And this is difficult because it's, 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 it's different for each of us. But there are a couple of things I'd, I'd, I, I think are key. And today I want to kind of just mention those two things briefly about how we can live a great commission-minded life and, and ways that we can embrace this sentness that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 10. And the first thing here is, is we can't settle. We can so easily settle for something that is less than the best. And uh, not to say we look back at past decisions and, and think, if only I waited for something better and, and, and just didn't settle for that one thing. Uh, I'm not talking about looking back with regret. I, I'm talking about when we don't desire more from where we are at. Um, to, to think of how, what, to, to not grow complacent. Um, that kind of settling. And with the, uh, we think of, of this in, in many ways in, 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 in just the, the whole idea of just becoming com- comfortable and, and not really having the, the, the passion that maybe we once had in our faith. And it's like when we, when we, when we can, when, like you ever see like gas station sushi? <laughs> it's, it really does not look that appealing. And, so, and there are certainly people who would buy it, but I, I kind of look at that as like, that's sort of settling, but it's almost like you, you have been brainwashed if you think that that's as good as the real thing. Um, or, or take off-brand cookies. You know, there's, there's nothing like a real Oreo. You're never going to find a real, uh, something that you can say, well, it's just as good as an Oreo. You're, just don't settle for that. Um, we can do better. Or uh, another one I thought, I thought of a bunch of food analogies, so... <laughs> It's, on, it's, only, it's not lunchtime yet. You're good, right? <laughs> um, like, uh, imagine, you know, you got a two-day-old hamburger in your, in your refrigerator from McDonald's, which, you know, throw that away. <laughs> but <laughs> and then Bobby Flay is next door grilling up a storm, and he says, hey, come over here. I've got some fresh burgers I'm making. I mean, that would be a no-brainer. You're, you're going to throw away the burger and go get a, a good one from, from someone who knows how to make them. And and, and that's sort of, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about here, when we just grow okay with okay. Um, earlier this year, I, I mentioned the, the trip we went on to Miami. We, uh, there are seven of us that went down. When I was there, the, the director, the, the site directors there, Matt Perotto, um, was, was telling us about this amazing thing we needed to try called Mafungo. And uh, 
And at first, just the name didn't sound appealing. But then he'd describe it, and I was just like, I don't know. But he had such a passion when he would talk about it. This like, okay, fine, I'll give, it a, I'll give it a whirl. Basically, it was, it's, you know, fried mashed up plantains with onions and garlic and some meat and some other stuff. And, you know, I just, I, I wasn't really sold on it, but he was determined, you have to try it. It's going to change your world. And so one night, our team was out on, uh, uh, we had a night off, and we found this nice restaurant. And uh, we had dinner together, and they had mofongo in the menu. And uh, I got it, and uh, it, it was amazing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a picture of it right here. Um, it, was, uh, it was better than I'd ever imagined. And that doesn't even do it justice. Imagine that in HD. <laughs> it was good. I mean, I just, I ate every single little bit. It was a huge amount of food, and uh, I couldn't stop telling people about it when I got home. I mean, it was just, it, it literally changed my life. <laughs> so lately, I've been having cravings for it. And, uh, and it's a bummer because... One of the main ingredients is green plantains, and you really cannot find those very often around here. Um, I searched. I went to five different grocery stores, and they're like, yeah, we actually have never carried that, or sometimes we have that, but I would never know when to come to look. It's just kind of in a blue moon kind of a thing. This week, I went to Hannaford, and they actually had it. They had green plantains. So on Tuesday, I made mofongo. <laughs> I watched like four YouTube videos. I, w I looked at recipes. I was like, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not let it be as good as it was um, at the restaurant. And uh, I was set. I got a mortar and pestle. I did not have a mortar, mortar and pestle. And it was 35 bucks, but I have one now for who knows what I'll I use it for. <laughs> um, I was going to surprise Ashley when she got home and be like, yeah, you're not going to believe what I made for dinner. It's so good. I mean, she, she actually didn't have it when we were in Miami, but I was like determined to help her share or let her share in this experience. So I made it, and this is what it turned out as. <laughs> it was not as good. <laughs> it was bland. It was dry. It was just everything that I would never want a mofongo to be like. It was not good. She, that was hers. That was as far as she could get. I actually did eat all of mine just because I was like, I worked so hard on this. I'm not going to not eat it. It just was not the same though. Um, and there's actually a spiritual application here, believe it or not. I was going to call this sermon, Don't Settle for Homemade Mofongo, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's basically where I'm going here. So what we have here is this basic principle. Don't, don't, don't settle for just mediocrity, for the okayness, for things that you're just like, yeah, it's definitely not the best. I mean, because that mofongo was, was not, was, you probably would have thrown it away. <laughs> I wouldn't have been offended if we had you over uh, to try, try my, my amazing ethnic cooking skills. <laughs> um, like homemade mofongo, we often settle for things when it comes to our faith. We do a little here and there, but there's definitely nothing exciting about it. It's just okay. And uh, we might attend a small group here and there, occasionally read our Bible or pray when we, when we just feel desperate to, to hear from God. And we tell ourselves things like, my faith is doing pretty good. My life is in good shape. I haven't gotten fired from my job. My, my money's okay. The, the kids aren't doing drugs. Uh, yeah, things are doing pretty good. Well, the, the thing with that attitude is you, you, you look at your situation, you're like, it could be worse. 
And we can't, when it comes to our faith, we can't measure doing well as it could be worse. We need to be striving for more than just not failing. And we need to desire more of God to go deeper with him and to be used by him to impact our world by spreading his love to all of those around us. You know that song, uh, we, so, we sometimes sing it here at church, uh, called Hosanna. And there's a line that says, Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And that's, that's really what I'm talking about today. We, can, we can't be okay with this. This is just the way things are mentality. And, and we have to be willing to, to be more and do more when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Um, and contentment is fine in some instances, and, and it's okay to be comfortable. And honestly, I really do struggle with this a lot in my life because uh, just being content and, and being okay with things as they are um, and just being able to be in the moment and not be thinking about how things could be better and how things uh, could, could if, sim- if the situation was different, how much better things could be and the grass is always greener. And, and I struggle with that. But there's a point where contentment turns into complacency and where it turns into this, this stagnation. And when it comes to our faith, this is not a good place to be. In Psalms chapter 41, verse 1, it says this famous verse. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. This verse is painting a picture of something that I've heard called a holy discontentment. It's, it's this, this idea of not being satisfied with where we are in our faith. And this image of a deer panting for water describes a longing and a thirsting for more of God. It's, it's to be discontent with where we are and, and desire more of him and to be closer to him. How does this describe where, where you're at? And how much do we long for God in that way, to see him move in our life like that? There, there's a spiritual element to this, and, but there's also a practical one and a physical one. It's, it's, it's really just t- taking a step and doing something. It might be something as simple as committing to pray every day or volunteering in the community, maybe going on a mission trip like we've heard um, talked about today uh, and just stepping out in some way, maybe to serve in, in, in the church. And honestly, this one is huge. Every one of us has a unique ability or gifting that can be used to minister in the body of Christ. And stepping out of your comfort zone might even mean serving in an area or doing something that you've never even imagined doing before. Um, For example, our our kids' ministry. Uh, There's weeks where we don't even have enough teachers to fill all the classrooms. And so Jen or somebody is having to be in three places at one time. And it, it just, it's like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. I mean, the church is growing and it's awesome all the kids here but um you know seeing the you know people have to work it you know 300 percent to make that happen is like god needs to intervene in that in some way so that um we can have enough teachers in their classrooms and our facility team i mean we you notice it's a lot brighter in here than it was a few weeks ago we had a team of guys two guys ernie and jeff um were in here for two straight days 
changing out all these bulbs and putting in these really nice LED lights that are just so much brighter and it's just so much nicer in here. And they were in here. And we have projects like that all around us in the church. And it's, it's, it's something where we, we don't have enough people to, to step up and, and do all those things. And, and um, hospitality is another one. I mean, we have an amazing church hospitality ministry here, at the ch- here on Sunday mornings. Um, but there are often times where we have to scramble to get coffee. I mean, how many of you love having just a nice pot of fresh brewed, roasted, um, and ground coffee? I mean, th- it's, it's not exactly clockwork when it, when, on some weeks. I mean, there's, there's struggles to make that happen. And there, I'm, all I'm trying to say here is there are areas within our church that, that could so easily be something that you could step into in serving. And, and, and maybe an example of, of kids' ministry might not be something you would see yourself doing, but don't discount God. I mean, just if there's a need or if there's something where you're like, I really feel like this could be something that I could step into, um, God will give you all the rest. He, he will supply everything you need to succeed at that kind of stuff. In order to embrace a Great Commission mindset, we need to not settle for what's easy and comfortable. And this is about uh, being spiritual representatives of Christ in our homes and our workplaces and, and really everywhere we go. Wherever you are in these areas, it, whether it's, yeah, I could commit to praying more, or I could commit to going on a mission trip, or I could commit to this thing, wherever you are, it's, this is about going one step further. That's what I'm talking about, and not being stagnant. When we're not moving beyond our comfort zone, we've just, be, we've just grown in this place of, of okayness, and we're just comfortable. And that's, that's really the, the, the crux of what I'm, what I'm getting at here. The second thing I want to mention here that will help us to live in a Great Commission-minded life is to position ourselves to be used by God. And this one is, is big because the, the biggest reason I've, I've heard from people who say they can't volunteer or lead a small group or participate in an outreach or do something, anything like that, is that they say, you know, that either they, they might not have time or, or even the skills to do it right, or, or maybe they, they just might say, I'm not ready to do that thing. Um, and I just need to take longer to, to figure some stuff out, maybe ask a few more questions of, uh, you know, figure out a little bit more about God before I take a step of, of faith like that. And, and it's not that these reasons should be ignored, um, many times there are valid reasons for saying no to certain things or when we feel like the Holy Spirit's tugging at us to, to go deeper in some way. Um, but do we find ourselves hiding behind these reasons only so we don't have to take that step out of our comfort zone? It's easy to say I'm too busy. Uh, I don't have the time or uh, money to do something and, uh, and, and just leave it at that. Have you ever been at your job and your boss comes in the room, and you know if you don't look busy enough, he's going to ask you to do something. <laughs> so you're going to be carrying that box around. I, when I was working construction, I, I was doing a lot of tile setting when I was college, and my brother said, if you don't want the foreman, if you want the foreman to leave you alone, just walk around with a level. <laughs> just everywhere you go, just walk around that level, and you're going to look like you're busy. <laughs> and I did that. Um, and he left me alone. <laughs> 
Uh, maybe you can't, uh, you know, connect with that analogy, but um, uh, maybe you're like sitting in a classroom and, and you do not want to be called on by the teacher. What is the thing you do to avoid that situation? Don't sit in the front row and find the biggest person in the classroom and sit behind them. <laughs> so you can't be seen. I mean, it's, you do anything you can to avoid getting called on. And what I'm trying to say here is this is often how we approach when we feel like God is calling on us or when we see an opportunity for something to serve, to step out, to, to really allow God to use us in some way. There are many examples in the Bible of God calling, of, of God um, calling upon a person to do something big and, and that person just simply said, I'm not your guy. I can't do that. I'm not the person you need to do this. And, and, um, and they just, they, they, bargain with God or they argue with him. And God's like, no, you're the person. I need to do this. Um, but when it comes to a person that I think really modeled this idea of positioning themselves for God's purpose, I, I, I really don't think there's a better example than Jesus. I mean, he's pretty much the best example for everything. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> and I wanted to look at a couple of passages of scripture here. It's in John chapter 2. This, is, this passage is where we find the first recorded miracle that Jesus did. And anyone know what that was? I'm going to call on somebody if they don't answer. <laughs> Water into wine. Good job. And, uh, and we sing that song in church. You know, I always thought it was kind of funny. Like, water you turned into wine, open the eyes of the blind. I mean, I think it's, it's a great miracle, but I'm like, we're singing about Jesus making some wine. This is, this is kind of fun. <laughs> Interesting. On, uh, starting in verse 2, chapter 2, or starting in chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also invited, were also invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. <laughs> I always think of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> the rum is gone. <laughs> Verse 4, Jesus says, Woman! I actually had to look this up. That's not derogatory in the Greek. <laughs> to, to refer to your mom as, woman, what's your problem? <laughs> he says, woman, why do, you why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. This is crazy. I mean, the, the, there's Jesus here even saying, my time isn't yet. He didn't think he was ready to be used by God, and yet we see him still take that step. Um, here. We see him seize the moment, um, as, as the great musician Ernesto de la Cruz would say. I have a two-year-old who watches Pixar movies and really likes Coco, so if you don't get that reference, that's why. <laughs> seize your moment. He says in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood two sick stone water jars, the kind you used the kind used by the Jews for commercial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7 says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and, make, and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that he had turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though. The servants had not, who had drawn the water did not tell him. 
Then he called the bridegroom and said, everyone bring your choice wine first, and then everyone brings their choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have left. But we have saved the best till now. So this was basically good wine. I mean, I've heard some, some people try to discount this, uh, this miracle, saying something like, is really just residue at the bottom, and then when you mix the water, it, it you know, created, you know, something that tasted like wine. You know, something kind of ridiculous like that. And I don't know about you, but there's a reason you don't put ice cubes in wine. It makes it taste kind of bad. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's just one step above, you know, boxed wine from Walmart or something like that. You just generally don't, don't do that. But this was genuine wine that, that Jesus had turned from water. Verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There are 37 other instances of the Bible where Jesus did miracles, and I, I, we're not going to list them all here, um, but everything from raising people from the dead, healing people of leprosy, um, anything you can imagine, Jesus did, calming storms. And if we examine each one of these, we find something, and that's, that's that we see Jesus was not putting on his schedule for that day, heal Bartimaeus at three, or do this thing at this time, or be here to do this because this is going to happen, and you need to have this finished in order for this miracle to occur. He was always on the way to do something else. And it's important to realize that in, in order to step out in faith and be people who are Great Commission-minded followers of Christ— we have to be okay with seizing a moment. We see Jesus while he was on the way to somewhere else doing some, th some other task or in the middle of some other business, and he stops. He stops to seize a moment to impact someone, to heal someone, to, to, to let that person, a cripple, an adulterer, an outcast, a sinner, to let them experience compassion, healing, and mercy, and most importantly, love. And for those of you who struggle understanding and grasping who this man Jesus is, this is, this is it. This is who he was. He, he is someone who stopped what he was doing to be with you. He came down from heaven in the midst of his glory, um, his godness, to be with a sinner, to be with you and me. How are we positioning ourselves to be used by God when opportunities come? We need to make ourselves available. We can't live with this false idea that we're always looking ahead to something else and that's when we can make ourselves available. And that's when everything will work for us to say, okay, God, now I'm ready. I mean, that would be like Jesus saying something like, I can't heal this person. I have not finished my preparation yet. Or, or someone saying, Jesus, come feed these 5,000 people. And then he's saying, I can't do that. I can only turn enough bread and fish into, uh, you know, to feed 500 people. I'm not to that point of five. I mean, that's ridiculous to, to think that. But sometimes that's sort of the, the way we, we put God in a box when it comes to stepping out in some way. When he's saying, just do this. I know there's certain things that all of us are thinking about that you feel like it might be a job change. It might be, it might be going on a mission trip. It might be talking to your neighbor about who Jesus is. There are so many things that each of us have that we have not yet stepped out in obedience to do. 
Most of us here may not raise someone from the dead or heal someone from leprosy, but I think our expectations for how we think God can use us are just way too low. And because our expectations are low, we struggle with this idea of positioning ourselves to be used by him. And history, I'll tell you, is full of examples of God using people despite their weaknesses or shortcomings. I'd like to invite the band up, and we're just, we're going to sing a song together that some of us have heard or know before. It's an old hymn. It's called Take My Life. And I just think, you know, we've had some great time of, of hearing from, from different individuals, in, individuals about things they're doing in their life, uh, whether it's going on a mission trip or, or something that they have been a part of by taking that step of faith. And just as we close, I just want to say it's not our perfection that God desires, but our willingness to step out. He will use us despite our weaknesses. And maybe you've heard something like this before, but God does not only use those who are qualified. He qualifies those who he calls to do his work. And I have news for you today. We are all called. We are all sent to do the work of the kingdom. This is exciting, but it's also a little scary sometimes. And I just, as we, as we sing this song together, I want us to all stand and just make this a declaration of a prayer. Take my life and let it be. Take my voice, take my will, take it all, God, and use me for your glory. The key to living a great commission life is that we don't settle for ordinary and that we position ourselves to be available in whatever way God desires to use us. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.